hold together convictions and compassion, even when those two things come into tension, and it becomes very, very difficult, and especially difficult when you talk about an issue like homosexuality, and that's what I want us to talk about tonight. Every time I do this, I make everybody angry all at once. Uh, it's magical. Um, it's not my goal, but it's what I do. Um, Part of it's because I'm just a doofus and I always say it wrong. No matter what I'm trying to say, I just want to say it wrong. Um, the other thing I think is a unique, unique place as a pastor. Um, some of you will likely never be asked to preach the funeral of a man who's died of AIDS. I have. You'll never be asked to preach the funeral of a man who's died of AIDS whose sister attends our church. And never told a soul about her brother. I've, I've, I've preached that funeral. You'll never talk to a teenager who's struggling with his sexuality. I have. I'm pastor. And so holding conviction and compassion together for me are, are, are very, very important. I don't know another way to be a pastor. Um, it's fairly easy to be against people that you don't ever have to talk to or, or love. But if you are in the situation which I am in, and that is uh, there are people in my life who are homosexual, and I love them. I, I love them. I have friends who are gay, both inside and outside the church. I have family members who are gay. And I love them. And that love is unconditional, and, and that love is real love. But my conviction about biblical sexuality is also real. And, and, and that's the difficulty for me. So tonight I just want to say a word. In some ways the sermon is directed toward those who are gay. I, I, I want to speak to them on behalf of the church or maybe just on behalf of a pastor who often feels caught in the middle. Uh, start with a story of a woman named Cindy who's not in our church. But, but Cindy and her husband were churchgoers, uh, very, very faithful in their church. And uh, they're just church family. You, you, you've, known, you've known families like this, uh, all of you. Uh, they're in this church. I mean, just church family. And they raised their kids in church. And church was just home. It was, it was a second home. They were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Uh, they loved their church family. And the church family loved them very much. One night, sort of out of the blue, some people could say they should have seen it coming. But they didn't see it coming. Their, their teenage son, he was 15 at the time, he came in and told Cindy and, and, and his dad that he was gay. He was 15 years old. And he told mom and dad that he was gay. And, um, it was a really hard conversation for, for them. So Cindy was just sort of thrown into this in, in, incredible kind of panic. Um, she loved her son. There's no question about that. But she just didn't know how to, she didn't know how to process this. She Went through several days of just going through the Bible and every single relevant passage, reading and rereading it and trying to make sense. She, she just stayed up all night scouring the internet for anything, for, for anything that would help her, in anything that would change this. She really wanted to find something that would somehow make it not true, to, to read something or discover something that, that would prove to her what she wanted to believe, is, and that is that her son could not be gay. But no matter what she said, no matter what they talked about, her son insisted, no, mom, I, I am. This is who I am. And it was, 
really difficult. Just really difficult. And, and some of you have been there, some of you have never been there, but, but it's hard. But here's the thing. Cindy said that for her, the hardest thing, I'll let this sink in, the hardest thing was knowing that her son would never have a home at church again. It was, it was the, the, the church she had known, the people who had always loved him, the Sunday school teachers and the youth workers and everybody. She just knew that they'll never look at him the same. Now, there's something wrong when that's your worst fear. There, there's something wrong when, when something like that occurs in your family or, or you, you recognize that this is your son and, and your, your fear becomes that your church won't love you. There's something, something painfully wrong with that. And, and we need to address whatever it is that, that makes that perhaps true. Because although that's a, a story from outside our church, I'm telling you, that's also a story from inside our church. Some of our families are, have been there and, and are there. And, and honestly, you, you probably don't know about it because our church isn't always that safe either. It doesn't feel safe. And again, I remind you, it's not a new thing. It, this has gone back for, for generations and years and years, even at Woodburn Baptist Church. But, but it's just that horrible fear that, that my church is, is not going to be able or willing to take this journey with us. That's devastating on a lot of levels. Uh, very recently, uh, the, the, Barna, uh, the, the Barna Institute did a study uh, of perceptions of the church in the United States. And they asked uh, both church people and non-church people to sort of go through a list of words and to choose the words that described the present day church. A lot of the words they chose, you, you wouldn't be surprised, but, but what you probably need to understand is on that, uh, on that test, and these are 16 to 29-year-olds, by the way, so it's, it's, it's a young generation. 16 to 29-year-olds asked to describe the church. Guess what the number one word used? 91% of 16 to 29-year-olds chose the very same word to describe the church of today. And what do you think that word was? Those all made the list. Number one word, anti-homosexual. Of all of the words, of all of the things we stand for or stand against, actually, of all of the words that you could use to describe the church of, of today, churches like ours, the number one word was anti-homosexual. Now, it was uh, the word chosen by, by 91% of non-Christians, but, but get this, 80% of churchgoers chose that word. 80% of the people who actually go to church, they chose that word. This is a tragedy. It is an alarming tragedy that right now in the United States, this is what the church is known for being anti-homosexual, beyond everything else, beyond love, beyond mercy, beyond Jesus, the word that comes to mind is anti-homosexual. This is an evangelistic tragedy. It, it destroys our witness in the world. And something tells me it destroys the very fellowship that Jesus died to create in, in the church. Let's talk about how we could change it, how it could even start. And I guess we'll have to go to a, 
to one of these lists. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Let's just start here. Pay close attention to what it says and also pay attention to what it does not say. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, start with verse 9. This is actually a really good passage starting in, in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. It's going to go on. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but it's, it's a good chapter about sexual sin. It goes on into instructions on marriage. This, this is good stuff, but let's start here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what some of you were. But you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There may be more there than you think, so let's talk about it. First off, this is a, a common uh, feature you'll find in Scripture and in, in other ancient writings. It's called a vice list. What's a vice? Or what's the opposite of vice? Virtue. Yeah, there, there are virtue, and you would actually find lists of virtues as well. There are virtues and there are vices. What is a vice? Not like in your garage where you, you know, clamp something down. What's a vice? A moral vice. Yeah, something that you allow to control you or, or something that honestly you should avoid. Uh, th th these are sins, that they're vices. These are absolutely, in this case, behaviors that are not befitting of Christians. So, so therefore, these are all behaviors that need to be avoided. And, and Paul says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't fool yourselves. And, and then his, his list begins. This particular vice list actually begins with five words, and the New Living Translation kind of fills them out trying to interpret them. But all five of these words are single words in the Greek, and the first five words all describe some kind of sexual sin. Okay, And because there aren't a lot of nice words for sexual sins, and Paul didn't necessarily choose nice words either, I'll just warn you, uh, it's kind of hard to translate and read it out loud for the family. Uh, so so un understand that. The first word uh, interpreted in New Living Translation, those who indulge in, in sexual sin. Uh, the, the King James Version, others probably just say fornicators. Fornicators. So, so what is just fornication? Give us the PG definition. Fornication. Yeah, there you go, Mark. It, it is just simply uh, any sexual activity outside of marriage. That, that is fornication. Fornication is, is sort of that general term that describes the biblical sexual morality. And, and it really has to do with any type of sexual activity that, that is out, outside of marriage. So that first word there is just fornicators. The second one is, is, is idolaters. And understand from the Jewish perspective, idol worship was almost always associated with, with loose sexual behavior. And so therefore, idol worshipers belongs right here in the list of, of sexual misbehaviors. And then we go on. What's the next one? Adulterers. Adulterers. What is an adulterer? What's that? Yeah, anybody who commits adultery? And what's adultery? 
Yeah, adultery would be a particular sin for a married person, and, and that is one who has sex outside the marriage. You, you, you go to any other person other than your spouse uh, as a sexual partner, adultery. And, and then what comes next are, are, are two Greek words. Just if, if, if you really want to, to know, uh, Google it, look it up. But they're two very, very specific words that we don't really have words for in English, but they both refer to male homosexuality. Now, in the New Living Translation, it says male prostitutes. Yeah, possibly. Um, but but it, it really has to do with, uh, with, with uh, sex between two males. And in this case, we're talking about the passive partner. And I'll just leave it at that, okay? That's the technical word for that passive partner. The second word there uh, is, is the word for the active partner. And honestly, uh, literally, the, the, that second word is, is, is man liar or man sleeper. Anyone who sleeps with a man, a man who sleeps with a man. So, so, so very, very basically, you'll see that uh, right here in this list, pretty much any kind of homosexual behavior is forbidden. Paul sort of used both words uh, in, in a male relationship to, to just sort of describe that, that, that this behavior is, is forbidden no, no matter how you come into it, understand. It is one of those behaviors that, that, that absolutely is, 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 is forbidden. So that's clear. Nobody wants to hear that necessarily these days. By simply reading that out loud or saying that, some will say that I'm preaching hate. Uh, if you think I'm preaching hate, you don't know me. You don't know me. I'm preaching the word, and this is simply what the scriptures say. But, but let me say this before any of you get all carried away. First off, absolutely homosexual sin is forbidden here, but it's right here in a list with nearly every other kind of sexual sin you can name. And don't forget that. Because let me just remind you, I've been your pastor for 18 years, and uh, we got people guilty of probably every one of those. We, we just do. We just do. Now, obviously, there's some people who like to single out homosexuality. It, it is sort of the, the worst sin in some people's mind. And so people will say, Brother Tim, if they're looking to perhaps to join our church, they'll sometimes ask me, what's this church's position on homosexuality? You know, I've never had anybody ask, what's this church's position on adultery? Still waiting on that. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Um, People get all, all up in sometimes excluding homosexuals, but we hardly ever exclude adulterers. And that's so interesting to me. It's interesting how we can take a list like this and, and somehow, somehow highlight certain sins as, this, as if they ought to be seen as, as darker or, or worse. Because notice, and, and again, look at these vice lists elsewhere in Scripture, because you'll usually see homosexuality in the list right there beside being greedy. Actually, it's also in another list right beside disobeying your parents. Let's highlight that one. Yeah. You, you understand? It's just sort of interesting how we have this tendency to try to elevate the sins that, that we don't feel guilty of. But the Bible really doesn't allow us to do that. Verse 9, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Why don't you just stop right there and understand that you're included in this list? Don't you realize, you can't fool yourselves, it says. None of these will inherit the, the kingdom of, of God. The biblical sexual ethic is very, very clear. It's very clear. Sex belongs in marriage, and marriage is about one man and one woman wed for life. 
it's, it's, it just really is that clear. The, the basic structure of sexuality in the Bible simply precludes homosexual behavior. It, 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 it just does. So is, is, is that all we have to say? I mean, that it's just wrong and therefore it's, it's wrong and, and we're done. Well, I think we've said that very, very well. Obviously, the culture's got the message that we're against homosexuality. Everybody seems to know that now. It is what we're most known for. Maybe they need to hear us say something else. So, so what is there left to say? What do we need to say once we have stressed our convictions on the matter? Well... Let's talk about that. And with that, let's go to verse 11. The most magical phrase appears at the end of this list. And again, Paul's talking to a real live church of real live people. And he says this, those who indulge in sexual sin, fornicators, idol worshipers, adulterers, male prostitutes, those who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusive, cheaters, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's exactly what some of you were. What's that mean? Because that's, I can't say it's awesome. It's awesome. It's horrible. But what does it mean when he says, and that's, that's, that's what you all were? What did he do just then? He went down the church roll. Paul knows these people. He went down the church roll. Drunkards. Yeah. Cheaters. Yeah. Sexual sinners. Just kidding. He goes right down the church roll and says, and that's what y'all were. He's talking to the church. And he says, that's what y'all were. You preach this sermon. Well, what's he saying right there? It, it's a word of judgment. You said hope. You meant judgment. It's hope. How is that hope, Jack? Because it is. Yeah. We're all in the same boat. Yeah. I, I, absolutely. I love this. Perry Noble says this. The word of God gives us standards to live by, but not stones to throw. Gives us standards to live by, but, but not stones to throw. We are somehow all in the same boat. This is what some of you were. Paul says, what else? It's hope. It's hope for forgiveness. It's hope for acceptance. It's, it's hope for salvation. But what else, specifically if you're thinking about the fact, and it's kind of amazing that he says it, and beautiful really, Paul says that some of the people at Corinth used to be homosexuals, male prostitutes. Really? In the church? Are they yoke fellas now? Yeah, of course they are. Really? How does that even work? Some of you were once like that. If anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. You know about this? Old things are passed away. All, all things become new. Um, the gospel is about transformation. What you've always been, you don't have to continue to be. What you used to do, you don't have to do now. You are not slaves to sin. It's, it's the message of the gospel. And if homosexuality is a sin like everything else, then understand that there is, there is hope for you. There's hope of salvation. There's hope of change. Now, I really do believe that Christ has the power to, to change a person and to change a person's desires. And there are people who give that testimony. 
People who say that I, I lived a homosexual life and I came to Christ and Christ has set me free from that and he's changed my desires and now I'm married to a woman and, and we have 20 kids and, uh, and, and yeah, that, that's a beautiful testimony. But let's be real, is that going to be everybody's testimony? Is every person, every person who's ever struggled with same-sex attraction, when they turn to Christ, is he automatically or in some cases ever going to change that temptation, change that attraction? What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, we, we, all, we have to say that that, that, that even though Christ can, and we never doubt what he can do, but we also don't presume to say what he will do. And I, I can say in, my, in, my, in just my own life, uh, the draw of sin is very strong, and it's something I have to live with and fight against in order to seek purity in, in, in a life that Christ has for me. And if we're all honest, we'd all have to say the same thing. I, I'm still tempted to do all kinds of awful things. You don't necessarily know my sins. I'm very good at hiding them. God help me. But I'm just being really honest with you. I, I know what it is to struggle. I know what it is to be tempted. I know what it is to pray and pray and pray that I just won't even be drawn toward these things, but I just am. I, I just am. And, and any of you who are honest would have to say the same things. Sin is sin. And there is this terrible and strong draw toward it for, for all of us and for those for whom same-sex attraction is something that they really are, are going to struggle with, that struggle may continue even after you turn to Christ. I'm, I'm just being honest. It, it may not. I, I hope that God changes you, you completely, but, but it may be a struggle that, that, that you live with. And I don't know exactly what, what, what purity and, and seeking Christ is going to look like in your life. I, I do know that it will always lead you in the opposite direction of sin, but, but the desire, the attraction in itself is not sin. You understand? The, the temptation is, is, is not the sin. Ronnie's sitting right here. We're, we're celebrating years of sobriety for, for Ronnie. But Ronnie will tell you, you, you probably, uh, there are days when you, when you just feel drawn back to drink. Uh, and you take it one day at a time. That, 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 that's, that's what Ronnie would say. But, but, but the tendency, the, the draw toward alcohol for, for Ronnie, that, that temptation in itself, that's not the sin. The, the sin is the behavior. And as God's people, we have to learn to separate the, the, the attraction, the orientation, the, uh, the temptation from the behavior. We all have an orientation towards sin. We all have attractions toward things that are forbidden in God's word. And our responsibility as believers who want to strive for holiness and, and the righteousness of Christ, we're, we're all somehow in recovery from these things. And those who struggle with same-sex attraction, who, who, who find their way into this body, if, if they know Jesus and, and if they are as serious about imitating Christ in their life and, and achieving his purity as you and I are, then they have a place right beside us. Right, right beside us, they belong here. I, I, absolutely. I, I know that's hard. I, I, I know that's hard for some of you to think about. So, so to my friends who are gay, I guess their question is always going to be, um, 
Is Woodburn Baptist Church going to be a safe place for me, a safe church to go to? I remember years ago, I, I, I met a guy in Bowling Green um, at a Young Life function, of all things. It, it, was a, it was an outreach, Christian outreach to high school kids. And I, I met a guy who was a cross-dresser. Um, that means he was a man who dressed like a girl. Um, he needed Christ so badly. He just needed Christ as much as any other kid there. But I'll never forget, I, I was actually your youth minister in, in those days. So this was a thousand years ago, and I led the youth group here. And I remember he said, tell me about your church. And my first thought was, oh my goodness. Can I really invite this guy to Woodburn Baptist Church? What in the world will people say? He, he needs Christ more than any kid in the world. But, but there was that part of me that even said, is Woodburn a safe place for this guy? Because some church has got to be a safe place for him. I mean, some church has got to be a place where he can come and hear the gospel. Do you understand? He's like any other kid. Somebody's got to say, yes, you can come. Yes, we want you. Yes, we can love you. We can get past your eyeliner and love you. Do you understand? <laughs> Why would we say anything else but... My awful tendency, and don't take this as a joke because it's not funny, but, but since the event took place at Eastwood Baptist Church, I said, you know, this is a great church. <laughs> Eastwood's a great church. Why would you drive all the way to Woodburn? Stay at Eastwood. Yeah, I did that, man. I disinvited him. I disinvited him. This is what some of you used to be, Paul says. So to my friends who are Christians, let me just ask you never to forget where you were when he found you. Just don't ever forget where you were when he found you. Don't you ever forget what you're capable of, what you're drawn to. Don't you ever forget all the things you try to forget about who you are and who you've been. Just don't ever forget where you were when he found you. We say Woodburn Baptist Church is a family of Christians that loves and welcomes everyone. We say that. But when it's your son or your daughter or your brother or your friend or your sister-in-law or, or, or whatever, and it's time to bring them to church, do you really feel safe bringing them here? Where are they going to go? Where, I mean, where, where are they going to go? Loves and welcomes everyone. Let me just say this. Uh, look at the list. Think about your own lives. Uh, I'll never tell your secrets in public, but let me just say, I can promise you, in this church, we got people guilty of all of these and more. Uh, we are all sexual sinners. Some worse, some less, so I, I don't know. I really don't follow you home, but, but, but I'm telling you, we are. We are all sexual sinners who need Jesus in, in the worst kind of way. So I can't imagine that anybody with any kind of sexual struggle couldn't find a place on a pew next to you. Except the fact that sometimes a person like that reminds you of all the things about yourself that you don't want to deal with. So it's easier just to push them out, I, I, I know. But, but when we push people out, we're pushing them away from Christ. You understand? We're pushing them away from Christ. We are all sexual strugglers, and we all need Jesus. 
And so I just can't imagine that my friends who are gay couldn't, couldn't somehow come and struggle with right beside us. The, the other thing is um, that they really need people in their lives. They just really, really need people. This is part of what makes the, uh, the, the LGBT, the, the late lesbian bisexual, transgendered community so important in our culture because these really are people who've had no place. They've often been rejected by their families. And think about that now. Think about what that would be. Rejected by families, rejected by friends, rejected by churches. Most all of them have a horrible story to tell about the church. And so the, the, the community that is now formed, the LGBT community, is, is, is a very, very important source of support for these people. They really have nowhere else to go. And I'm saying that, that the church needs to be that, that kind of place f for them. It, it, it just does. If, if you're a man and you have this awful tendency to eroticize relationships with men, relationships that shouldn't be erotic, you really need Christian men in your life. You need men who come along beside you and, and teach you how to be intimate in ways that are not sexual and just teach you how to be loved and accepted, how to be a brother with men and how not to always confuse those roles. I'm not saying that it'll magically change you, but, but I am saying that, that, that as a body of Christ, we offer love and, and intimacy and, and community in ways that are very, very healing for all of us sinners. And those who struggle with same-sex attraction, they need that, maybe worse than any of us. That They really need that. How else can they learn? How else will they ever hear the truth? How else will they ever satisfy that deep hunger for love and intimacy and connection that they crave if they can't find that with the people of God, the body of Christ? They just they need the church in the strongest and most desperate possible way. I'm not saying that as the body of Christ, we give up our convictions. I would never say that. At the same time, I'm just not the guy who says, hate the sin and love the sinner. Because to be honest, I don't trust you with that. I don't trust myself with that. Because hate's a very powerful thing. I don't use that language. It's a language of conviction and compassion. Man, I, I don't want to give up on what God's word says about sexual purity. I want to strive for it in my own life. And, and I want to think that at church we're all striving toward the same things. I, I, I want that. That's what the body of Christ is about. I, I don't want to give up on conviction. But God help me, I don't want to give up on love either. I want to find a way to combine just bedrock convictions about what's right and wrong, but at the same time, make sure that the world knows that we love people, that, that it's this unconditional kind of love. If we say we're a church that loves and welcomes everyone, then my goodness, we shouldn't have to stop and ask if we can really invite our family member to church with us. I, I guess I'm saying that the answer for the problems that a homosexual faces are the same as the answers to the problems we all face. It's the gospel of Jesus. They need to hear it. They need to see the gospel lived out in our lives. And that gospel will always be somewhat unbelievable unless it comes from a church and a heart and, and a friend who loves them. So if I got to say something to my fr friends that are gay, I, I just 
want you to know I love you. I love you, and I can't always understand the tension in my own mind between the fact that I love you, but, but your lifestyle is something that I can't affirm. I can't celebrate with you. And I don't know what I'll do about that all the time, but I can promise you that even as, as, as we deal with that, I will continue with the serious business of loving you. And I will always want you in my life. And I, I won't turn my back on you. And, and as long as you want to make steps toward Christ, I'll be your pastor. I just don't know what else a Christian pastor would say. Any words before we dismiss anything? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, somewhere out there today is a man who's probably in his 30s, who as a high school kid dressed as a girl, I talked to him and invited him to somebody else's church. Wherever he is today, Lord Jesus, I pray that he has found Christ, and I pray that he has found peace. And I pray that he understands what his life is worth. Without any help from me. And I pray that the next person who crosses my path, who needs to know the love of Jesus, will find in me the heart of Jesus. Jesus, it is messy when we begin to love people. It is messy when we begin to try to... Hold on to our convictions and still love people unconditionally. Lord, it gets really, really complicated. But Lord Jesus, I pray that we will not try to escape the tension of, of, of compassion and conviction, Lord. But instead, let us just continue to be people of righteousness and, and people of the word and people with the heart of Jesus. Lord God, there is a world out there that is so confused about what the church is about and so confused about what human sexuality is about. Lord Jesus, I pray that we can find clarity and I pray, Lord, that we can recover a reputation for preaching the gospel, preaching forgiveness, preaching grace and mercy. That grace and mercy is what has saved every one of us. So Lord Jesus, let the message of the gospel be on our lips and may we once more as a church be known as a place of hope and a place of refuge, a place of holiness, a place of love. May we always be a family of Christians here that loves and welcomes everyone, and may every life be changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.